happen. If you have your Bibles, turn over to John chapter 17 is where we're going to be today. Um, John chapter 17. John is one of my favorite, um, it is my favorite gospel, um, because, largely because I think John and I would have a lot in common. Um, um, there's a couple of those uh, ap- apostles that I think um, would annoy me. Um, <laughs> but John seems to be like this laid-back character. He's a, he's a loving character. He, he, he focuses a lot on relationship. And, 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 and because of that, his writings really appeal to me um, in, the, in the way that I interact with people. Um, and so I loved reading. In fact, in our life group, we've been studying the book of John for quite a while over the last several weeks. And when, when um, we finally made the decision that Jason was going to go on this sabbatical, God laid on my heart, John chapter 17, um, because I think it really does apply to where we as a, a group of human beings are today. I'm going to make an observation about you and me and most human beings on this planet. Um, we don't like change. Amen. <laughs> the loudest amen of the day. Um, change is hard. You know how I know that change is hard? Because anytime change happens, usually what happens is the flesh of the people that are experiencing that change um, bubbles up. You, you want to know what's truly um, going on in the hearts of people? Make some changes and then just see what comes out. Um, for me, and it, 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 it's, it's true about you, it's true about me. The reality is, is that it brings out kind of our flesh patterns that happen when change begins to happen around us. So when th- something com- takes us out of our comfort zone a little bit, um, really look in your heart and see, how do you respond? How do you respond? For some of you, you may get really angry. Um, some of you are so upset with change that it just bu- bubbles out of you as anger. Some of you, like me, um, um, it's anxiety, it's fear. When things start to shift around me a little bit, I get anxious. Um, some of you shut down. Some of you um, try to control things. Some of you um, do all kinds of stuff in response to things that change around us. The problem is, is that uh, things change around us all day, every day. And there is the potential at times for our flesh to be to be inflamed by those changes that are happening around us. Let's just, let's just address the elephant in the room right now. Harvest time is going through at least three months of something slightly different. Some change. And the reality is this. It is a little uncomfortable. Probably for everybody. Because things are different. Jason's not as accessible as he was just last week. Um, I'm, into, I'm being introduced into a new role. We're bringing other people into circumstances. And that, that discomfort because of change like that can do one of two things. It can either drive us closer to God, leaning more on God, getting our input from God, or it can cause our flesh to bubble up. And our responses could be based on our flesh. Now listen. Comfort is not God's primary concern for his church. Um, In fact, character development is God's primary concern for his church. Developing closeness and dependency on him, experience his presence in a real way is, is, is God's point for his church. But there are times when our, our, our comfort, our, our focus, our prayer life is more based on what we want as far as comfort. We want things to remain the same. We want things to not change. We want things to be like we want them to be. And unfortunately, 
When God's in control, we don't always get what we want. So the question that I'm asking you and I've been asking myself for the last several weeks is this, how am I responding to change in my own life? Am I upset because my comfort has been messed up a little bit? Am I experiencing anxiety because of that? And I'll be honest with you, the anxiety is there. It's there. Fear can be there. Anger is going to be there. The question that we as followers of Jesus need to recognize is that it's not whether or not we're going to have this battle inside us against our flesh. The question really is who are we going to allow to win? Our flesh or the spirit? Some of you may be even asking yourself, well, what is a sabbatical? And I've never heard of such a thing, and it's a whole new experience. Well, let me just kind of give you some history from my experience with them. Before I came to Harvest Time, I worked at a a church that was part of the evangelical, um, I I just forgot what it was. So I'll say fellowship. Evangelical Churches of America. No, no, that's not it. Evangelical Mennonite Churches of America. Fellowship of Evangelical Churches. There it is. They changed their name. When I first got hired on, it was Fellowship of Evangelical Mennonite Churches, and then it became Fellowship of Evangelical Churches. So you guys right now are listening to a Mennonite pastor. Isn't that weird? You didn't know that, did you? Um, You want to know the difference in theology between the Mennonites and what harvest time is? Um, Nothing. Exactly the exact same theology. In fact, you could take our Constitution and transplant it there, and it's exactly the same. But in that, um, they, they, in my, when I first helped plant a church, the last church I helped plant was Crossroads Church, and the denomination had sent down some guidelines for how the churches would be planted and some guidelines for stuff that was good spiritually for their pastor. And one of the things that they had put out in the years that I was there was the need for their pastors to take a sabbatical every seven to ten years. In fact, they, they passed that down as a strong recommendation, uh, not so that pastors could go lounge on the beach, which is not what Jason is doing alone, Um, But it's about getting away, and sometimes you have to get away from the busyness of your ministry to be able to reconnect and hear what God wants you to do. Because the reality is this, when you are a a minister, not just pastors, but when you guys are in your day-to-day life, how much time do you take to actually listen to God's voice when you are busy with your work every single day? Is Is it a challenge? And it's a challenge for you, it's a challenge for me. And last week we talked about actually challenging us to figure out a way to spend some time alone to listen to God, whether that is just one day a week, a few hours a week where we disconnect and hear from God. But when you're talking about pastors, there is something about the spiritual burden and the need to lead a church where we at times need to get away to hear the voice of God anew. So I thought, we're not going to uh, park on sabbaticals the entire time. This is not something I'm going to preach on every week. But I wanted to share with you a couple of stories of, of pastors that you may be familiar with that took sabbaticals and what they learned from them. Now, let me just clarify this first. Just because this pastor came to this conclusion on his sabbatical does not mean that's what we're praying for for Jason. We're praying that God speaks to Jason. And that he comes back with a renewed vision and a renewed strength for ministry at Harvest Time Bible Church. That is what we're praying for. But pastors have gone on sabbaticals for years. In fact, this, the one that I'm going to read to you today was um, John MacArthur's sabbatical story. Um, John MacArthur has been the pastor at Grace Community Church, get this, since 1969. And he's still the pastor there. Um, he's 84 years old, still preaching. Now, again, I'm not asking you to like everything about John MacArthur. He's got some theology things that are a little weird for me, but many of you like him, and he's a great, he's a great Bible preacher. He really is. 
So this is his story about his sabbatical. In the summer of 1980, I took a three-month sabbatical from Grace Community Church. So this was roughly 12 years into his ministry. During that time, I received no new revelations, nor did I discover any new truth that will instantly change our lives. But I did learn something important. The Christian experience is not a matter of what's new, but remembering what's old. As I traveled across the country, I had many opportunities to teach and answer questions. I discovered that the same questions were on the hearts of many people. Whether they lived in Northern California, Texas, Arizona, Arkansas, Illinois, anywhere in the country, they all wanted to know basic spiritual truth. I left Grace Community Church that summer with some anxiety. It was my 12th year there, and for the first time, I was thinking about going somewhere else. I had been asking myself how I could keep speaking the same things to the same people over and over again. I thought I had to be more creative or else go to another church where I could recycle my old sermons. Soon after we left Southern California on that sabbatical, I received an inquiry from a church about being their pastor. The church was located in an area I had long, long to live in. For the first time in my life, I didn't want to say no. I wanted to pray about it because I wanted to know if it was where God wanted to be. I struggled to know if it was time for me to move on. What triggered that struggle was the challenge of teaching God's word in another way. So I went on sabbatical thinking the Lord might open up new vistas for me. I read scripture voraciously, trying to see something new. But everything I read sounded like the same message from God, only in different words, which is basically the Bible, everybody. So I have to confess that after three months, I went back to Grace Community Church, and they got exactly what I, the same as I went when, I, when I went away, only with a few refinements. You see, after drawing close to the Lord, he put a freshness in my ministry. I asked the Lord to show me a passage of Scripture that would express what I was feeling to others. His Spirit drove me to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're not going to read that today, but it's a, it's a great passage that you should look into. He said, when I came back, I read it, pondered it, and talked with some of the pastors about it. Peter was called to feed a flock, and so was I. He was a shepherd, a pastor, and an overseer, and I can identify with him. In this epistle, in this epistle Peter expressed his heart to his flock. During my sabbatical, the Lord confirmed that novelty is not my calling. He wants me to teach his word, period. Now, let me clarify a couple things. Jason is not going away to find another job. He wants to be the pastor of this church. Amen? That is his call. Yeah, it's, it's the truth. I mean, there, again, I'm just trying to clarify a couple things as we move forward here. He, he's, his call is here. And we are not praying that God tells Jason what he told MacArthur in this, in this situation. But MacArthur, even in the, after 12 years of ministry at his church, just took the time to go listen to God's voice to get clarity on what he was to do moving forward. And that clarity for him was that the Lord confirmed that novelty is not his calling. What all these other preachers and churches were doing is not his calling. His calling is to teach the word. And that's what we need to be praying for Jason and Dacia right now. That that clarity of what God wants them to do moving forward doesn't come from my opinion, your opinion, the church's opinion, political opinion. We want to hear what God is saying to us, amen? We need to hear what God is speaking to Pastor Jason as we move forward. But like we were talking about a few minutes before, the potential of that change, the potential of Pastor Jason being gone for a few months can be unnerving to us. 
The fact that things aren't going to be exactly like they were. The fact that things aren't like they were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, at times can be very, very unnerving to us. And so I began looking at scriptures that were, were going to kind of address this. And I'm like, has there ever been a time in the Bible where the people of God were made to be a little uncomfortable? Have you read the Bible? It's basically a long story about the people of God needing to be made uncomfortable so they could hear God's voice again. So here we are in the book of John is where we're going to be looking. And the, basically the entire second half of the book of John is Jesus preparing his people for his departure. Over and over again, he says, I will not always be with you, but I will send a helper. He, he says, you, you, I, I can't protect you forever. You're going to be on your own. He gives, them, he gives them instructions on how to actually live in this world. How, how, do, how do we live this Christian life in a world that is in opposition to the way we live? And he gives instructions in chapter 15 where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me. Not just abide in him, but abide in my love. Let my love be the primary definer of who you are so that when you face difficult circumstances and the world tells you you're unlovable and the world says you're not worth love, abide in me. Remember me. Make, allow me to define who you are. And then he says in the same chapter, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And he's doing all of this. He's reinforcing it over and over again because he knows that change is coming, that things don't always progress the exact same way they've always, uh, they've always um, happened. And if you think about what's happening, he's talking to his disciples. And over and over again, he gives them hints about the reality that he's going to leave. And over and over again, they're like, what are you talking about? Why would you leave? Why would, why would this Change. We have just left everything for you. We, we gave up our careers. We gave up our money. Some of them gave up families. They gave up notoriety to follow Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, well, I'm out of here. Now, he's saying it in a lot more um, gentle way than I just said it. But the reality is that they were not comfortable with the idea that the person that they dedicated their lives to was leaving. And God knew, Jesus knew, that the the that the natural tendency of humankind, when stuff starts to happen that way, is we retreat into ourselves, into our own flesh, and we begin responding at times like the world does. Just the reality of who we are as humans. So it's amazing to me what Jesus does in the, in the, in the very last passage, well, chapter 17 of the book of John, it's not the last passage. It's basically the last interaction that he has with his people before he gets carried off and to be crucified. So these are things that he wants us to hear, his, his disciples to hear, his apostles to hear in response to the change that's coming basically the next day. Things are gonna get rough. He knows it's gonna get rough. And this, so Jesus, the God of the universe, does something amazing. He prays. Have you ever thought about the reality that God prayed to God? That a member of the Trinity in human form prayed to his own father in that moment, and when he did it, he prayed for you and for me. It's an amazing, amazing thought that one of the last things he's doing, he's doing this for our benefit, for the benefit of the apostles, the disciples that are there with him, and I'm going to make five observations from this prayer. We're going to read the entire 
thing first, and then we're going to break down these five observations. Don't worry, it sounds a lot longer than it is, all right? Well, let's start reading in chapter 17, and I'd like you, one of the things when you read scripture, I want to challenge you to do, is if a phrase just pops out to you in the middle of this passage, mark it, think about it, ruminate over it, because God could be saying something to you specifically in this passage, And there's some amazing stuff here. So starting in verse number one of chapter 17, read with me. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Now, just by clarification, the words he's talking about here, right at the end of the previous chapter, he's telling people you're going to have problems, but have hope because I have overcome the world. So he's telling them, he's basically warning them that stuff is not going to be all that enjoyable at times, but don't lose heart. I've overcome the world. So your hope is not in all this stuff, not in things going smoothly. Your hope is in me, Jesus Christ. So he said, when Jesus spoke these things, he lifted his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Right there is just an amazing little bit of theology. He's right there claiming to be God. I was with you before the foundations of the earth. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you had given me. I have guarded them, and and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Guess who that is? That's you. That's me. Verse 21. That they may all be one, 
just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that have sent me. I am made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. There's five observations I want to make, and I think Jesus, in that, in that prayer, when he is lifting up his disciples, his apostles, and by extension, us, he is trying to prepare us for the reality that in this world, things are not always going to go the way we would like them to go. We sometimes think that Jesus was overjoyed with the idea of being crucified, but even he knew that there was an element of suffering in experiencing the joy that was set before him. It's not like he had a desire to be going through torture and all the things that he went through on the crucifixion. But in this passage, he is saying, the reason that I am willing to obey you is because I know you love me and we are one. And your purposes are my purposes. And he lifts himself up to the Lord by way of submission and consecration to the Lord and preparation for the time that is coming. But in the midst of all that, he prays for us. And there are five observations that I think if we remember will help us to deal when the world's changing around us, when things seem uncertain, when things are just weird. If we remember what Jesus prayed for us and hold on and pray the same thing for ourselves, I believe that we will receive comfort And I believe that we will be allowed to experience his grace and mercy in a fresh way as we face these things. Number one, in verses 11, 15, and 16, Jesus prays for protection. Jesus prays for protection. Something that struck me in this passage is when Jesus said that I am praying for them because they are not of this world, he specifically says, I am not praying that you take them out of this world. He goes out of his way to state that. Well, I'm asking you, is that the way we normally pray? Normally, when I'm, when I'm praying to the Lord, I'm asking him, Lord, I don't want to go through this anymore. Please deliver me from this circumstance. Get me out of here. Take me up to heaven where I don't have to mess with all this garbage anymore. Get me out of this mess. Is that, is that, am I the only one that prays it like that? Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but I am praying that while they're in the world, they will reflect my love. They will respond in my love. That they will allow my love to define them and that when they are responding to these circumstances that make them uncomfortable, that it will not be a fleshly response that is their identity in this world, that it will be a a response that is different, a, a response of being different than the people of this world. You see, it's not how you respond When things are going well, that is your testimony necessarily. It is what comes out when the pressure is put on. When circumstances are tough. When you're at your job or your work or your family and things go poorly, 
when your response in that moment, what, ask yourself the question, what am I portraying? What is the response that I am giving out there? Do people see me responding just like everybody in the world responds by allowing our flesh tendencies to bubble up to the surface through anger and anxiety and fear and struggle and control and all of these things, which are all naturally human ways to respond? Or when those things happen, is it evident who is the Lord of your life? Scripture says that if you're following Jesus, there will be a peace that passes understanding. It doesn't even make sense, the peace that we can have, even when we are facing difficult circumstances. You ever been there? You were facing a circumstance that was so overwhelming and made no sense, and yet there was some kind of peace that grasped your heart because you knew who was in control and why. Well, often we don't know why, but we do know who we are to glorify in the midst of it. Jesus' prayer was not for a necessarily a deliverance from difficult circumstances. It was for protection in the midst of those circumstances. He didn't pray to, do, to take them out of the world. In fact, he left us here for a reason and for a purpose so that the testimony of the love that we have for one another and for him can be a pointer, a, a, a compass that leads people directly into the presence of God. So that when you are faced with temptation to respond in the flesh to a change and you respond in the spirit, that, that response is so shocking because it's so different than the world does things that it points the only reason that it can happen in somebody's life is because Jesus is in your life. That difference is your testimony. And he's praying that in the midst of this change, in the midst of this stress, in the midst of this anxiety, that God will protect them and enable them to have a testimony before men that shines like light in the darkness. Number one, he prays for protection. Number two, he prays for unity. Go back to verse 20. He says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Are you, are you catching a, a little bit of interesting thought there? He's basically saying, you know how the world will know that Christians are different? Because they're united. And again, they're not united around the things that the world's united around, because here's the reality. Um, I don't like y'all. I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. Do you know there's no command in Scripture that says you have to like everybody at church? Well, I got quiet in here. I do like y'all, by the way. Don't be offended. No, no hurt feelings. All right? But there's no command in the Bible that says you have to like each other. There's no unity in liking because tomorrow you may not like me. I may do something that annoys you. I may say something that you're offended. You may be offended because I said I don't like you right now. Whatever that is. But there's no command in liking and there's no unity in liking but there is a command to love one another, and there is unity in love. There is unity when we choose to love. Now, here's the problem with love today. The world has a really demented, terrible definition of love. It's a messed up definition of love. You see, the world says that if you love me, you're going to approve of everything I decide to do. The world says that if you love me, you're not only going to approve of it, you're going to celebrate everything that I'm going to do. That is not God's definition of love. God loves you, but does not like everything you do. He does not. Because when we do things that are sinful, that goes against his holy nature. He doesn't like that. 
but he loves you enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. That's the kind of love that we are called to have for one another. It's not a love that approves sin. That's not love. Love doesn't approve something that is harmful to you. Love speaks truth in love so that we can become more like Jesus Christ. There are times when we have to say something that is going to offend people, but we have to do it in a way that glorifies God and is not informed by our flesh. You see, the problem that we have is that we buy into this definition of love, and then when a church begins to talk about loving God and loving people, we're somehow thinking that we are, we are saying that everything that people do is okay. It's not. Sin is still sin. And God has called us to be holy, to be separated from sin. But just because you struggle with sin doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It is because you struggle with sin that he sent Jesus as an act of love to deliver you from that sin and to protect you and to bring you out of that sin to live a life glorifying to his name. So we're not talking about uniformity. We're not talking about unity and ignoring sin. We're not talking about not addressing any of that. What we're talking about is unity in the fact that we are a loved people that Jesus Christ died for. And this world is divided upon divided upon divided upon divided. If you're anywhere on social media, if you're anywhere looking at anything, the world wants you to accept every little detail of their life and we are divided against each other so much so that people hate each other when they don't agree. The problem is that the church, I'm telling you, we have fallen into the same pattern. We don't have to love what people do. In fact, if it's sinful, We can hate what people do, but you should never, ever hate a person when they are in their sin. Never. And we have a difficult time separating those two things together. So Jesus is praying, listen, church, (laughs) you're going to have differing opinions. You're going to read the Bible, and you're going to have a different interpretation sometimes. You're going to go to church with somebody that's going to vote differently than you. You're going to be, somebody is going to tell you that they don't like the brand of car you have. Somebody is going to annoy you at the church, at home, at your work. You have a choice. Will you be united in God through Jesus Christ with our brothers and sisters in Christ, even when you disagree on something that is secondary? That unity is something that is so different from this world that it's going to shine a light on, the, on Jesus Christ and his church in a way that will bring people to, to the Lord. But when we decide that our opinions and our feelings are more important than the unity we have in Christ, and we divide and we divide and we divide and we divide, the message of God's church becomes convoluted, and the testimony of his church is hindered. Please don't hear me say that you don't have a right to your opinion. You do. I would ask you to pray about it, surrender that opinion, but most importantly, I pray that we can find unity in the person of Jesus Christ. This is what he is praying for, that his body would be unified and not divided over secondary things. And I'll be honest with you, we've not done a very good job of this. Not just, not just harvest time, but the church as a whole. We've allowed all kinds of things to divide us through the years, and it's time that we find our unity in him. Number three, Related to number two, Jesus prays for our sanctification. In verse 17 through 19, we've already read it, but I'm just, so I'm just going to discuss it as we get closer to the end here. 
Sanctification basically means to be set apart for a purpose. Um, and, and another way, another way that it's worded is it's, it's about holiness. Again, it's being different. He's praying that sin becomes less of a focus of our life and we become more like Jesus. That our testimony is reflective of who Jesus is and that we willfully engage in that sanctification process. Sanctification is a process by which we become more like Jesus every day. And God uses all kinds of circumstances to do it. Sometimes he allows tough circumstances in your life. Sometimes he he allows tough persons in your life. Sometimes he allows you to go through difficulty. Sometimes he does great things that make you happy and thrilled. But the reality is this, that everything that God allows into our life is for the purpose of drawing us closer to himself. Are we willing to allow those circumstances to participate in our sanctification, our being set apart, our being made more holy. Jesus is praying that you become more holy. Through the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit, that sin has less of, an, of a control over you and the Holy Spirit has more. And that, that, that whole idea of becoming more like Christ allows your testimony to shine brightly before men. And I ask you again, when those circumstances come that are tough, What's coming out? This process of sanctification is allowing Jesus to be what comes out when we're squeezed. Jesus prayed for our protection. He prayed for unity. He prayed for our sanctification. Number four, he prayed that we experience his joy. His joy. Now, joy and happiness are two different things. Don't mix them up. Because Jesus, in this context, is actually talking about the joy that was set before him, even unto the cross. We, we read that later in the scripture. That for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross of Jesus Christ. He knew he was going to go through pain because the joy of Jesus was set before him. And what is that joy? Go back to verse 13 very quickly. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. And I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. You see, to Jesus, the joy that he was working on experiencing was the reality that at some point, he was going to bring people with him into God's presence. The joy wasn't in being necessarily being delivered from circumstance, but that the sanctification process was happening, that people were being brought into the kingdom of God, that people were getting to be saved. And throughout the entire Bible, the blessing of God is not something that's external. It is God's presence with his people. The entire Old Testament is about God's presence with his people. The blessing of God in the Old Testament is God's presence with his people. And the blessing that we have today is that he is with us. He is in us. And Jesus is looking forward to the day when number five happens. He prays for us to be with him for eternity in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. The joy that was set before him is you. It's me. He went to the cross for the joy that was set before him, which is glorifying the Father. 
reconciling us to Jesus, to God through the person of Jesus Christ and taking us into his presence forever. That was his prayer in that moment. So Jesus, as he was preparing for his departure, prayed for you, prayed for me. He prayed for our protection. He prayed for our unity. He prayed that we would become more holy to sanctify us. He prayed that we would experience joy even in the midst of difficulty. And he prayed, Lord, bring them to us when the time comes. That's his joy. Are you uncomfortable today? (laughs) If you're not, you will be tomorrow. Right? There's going to come something that's going to bring out what's on the inside. The question is, what's, what's coming out? Is that going to be reflective of a testimony that has a changed life with Jesus Christ? Or is it going to be our flesh? I pray for you, and I'm praying for myself, that as Jesus prayed for us, that we will lift each other up with this prayer. That we will lift ourselves up, that we would be able to experience that protection, that unity, that sanctification, that joy, and the, and, and the, and the hope that we have in knowing that we're going to be with Jesus forever. This is why we believe here at at, at Harvest Time that that it's important for us to participate in a process of discipleship. If you're just coming to church on Sunday morning, we're thankful that you're here. Please, come back. But if the only time that you are ever experiencing the reality of who Jesus is on Sunday morning for an hour, you don't think about the things of God and all that kind of stuff any other time, if you're not growing in your relationship with God, then what's going to happen is... That flesh stuff is going to be what comes out of you. The flesh comes out when, when, when we are not feeding our spirit. So over the next several weeks, this was kind of an introduction to the need of discipleship in our life. We need to be into the scripture. We need to be around other Christians. We need each other to live in this life. We cannot do this Christian life alone. God never intended it. We know that because he prayed for us to be what? one and that call is not for you to be one by yourself we are called to be one body reflecting his love and his character today and together so over the next several weeks we're going to be talking about that in the meantime pray for one another pray that what is true in the word of god would be reflected pray what jesus has prayed that we would have protection unity sanctification joy and that we would have hope based on the fact that we will be with him. Let's pray together. Father, you are good. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Now I pray that as we go through times of difficulty, which we are all either going through or will soon, that we would allow you to to conform us to the image of Jesus. Help us to know that you don't leave anything wasted in our lives. Every experience is something that can draw us closer to you if we will allow your spirit to work in us and if we choose to listen to your voice. Be with your church. Help us to recognize that we are yours. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen.